It used to be that a high school diploma could get you a good job that would support your family, where maybe your wife wouldn't have to work and you could live a good middle-class life in a good middle-class house. I have grandfathers. Rebecca has grandfathers that were things like butchers and mailmen, and they didn't have any kind of certificates or degrees, but they had good families and good jobs. But now it seems that even the most basic jobs require some sort of degree, or even if it's a trade school type job, some sort of certification. And more and more students, once they get those degrees, find that they can't find a job in the workforce, so they go on to get master's degrees. And so what used to be the high school diploma is now the bachelor's degree, and what used to be the bachelor's degree is now the master's degree, and what used to be the master's degree is now the PhD, certifications upon certifications upon diplomas, and so on it goes. Even things like welders and butchers need certifications. They can't just have learned the skill from their father passed on in a family business. On a slightly different note, there are about... 450, at least in 2017, probably more now, federal government agencies. I bet you didn't think there were that many, but there are. And they all have fancy titles, and each person there has some fancy certification, and they're there to tell us, maybe for the good, maybe for the worse, how to live our lives and what to do with our lives because they're the official people. The CDC is there to tell you when you should and shouldn't wear a mask. And maybe they're right. Maybe they're not. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. The EPA is there to tell you how many cows you can own because of how much methane they produce. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. I don't know. I don't say any of this as a kind of political statement. But I say this because we do live in a world of what I would like to call and what has been called credentialism. Titles and degrees and diplomas and certificates, they hold maybe more weight than they used to. If something wants to be official or sanctioned or have authority, it needs some sort of title, diploma, certification, or letter. If you rewind a few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, chapter 3 verse 4 back to chapter 1 or chapter 3 verse 1 excuse me Paul is dealing with the same issue in Corinth he says this in verse 1 do we begin again to commend ourselves he's talking about the pastors to the Corinthian church or do we need as some others epistles or letters of commendation to you? Do we need to come to you with some sort of letter saying that we are the official pastors of your church? Or should we get letters of commendation from you? Do we need to know somehow by an official act or title or diploma that you are the Corinthian Christian Church? Now, of course, Paul is a pretty well-accredited pastor. You can read his account of the Damascus Road account 
to know that, but he didn't get a diploma for it. God didn't send him with a letter. And the Corinthian church probably didn't have a letter saying we were started by a missionary of Paul at this time on this date. Maybe they did. Maybe they had a constitution committee like we want to have a constitution committee here to make things all official. But that makes sense of what Paul continues on and what we're going to continue on in uh, verse 4 in a minute. But his point is that this is not how the church fundamentally at the end of the day works. It's not fundamentally at the end of the day based on bureaucracy or accreditation. Paul continues there after verse 1. You... The people in the pews, you are our epistle. You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, a letter of Christ ministered by us. Written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh That is, of the heart. The Corinthian church, in its way of being church, in its way of the people in the pews having souls, enlivened by the Spirit of the living God, having God write on their hearts his words, preached from the mouths of Paul and his missionaries to them his word, That is what makes them real. That's what makes them church. If you go back to our discussion of credentialism that we were talking about earlier, it's like if you went to a welder that you knew had 40 years of experience and you could see on the wall all his projects that he had masterfully created with hot metal. And you could see that he was brilliant at his job and he was well known in all the community but then you started to question him because maybe his certification wasn't up to date and so you didn't hire him that would be silly as we like to say the proof is in the pudding sometimes it's obvious the proof is on the heart the proof is in the people it's not about a diploma or a letter of commendation it's not about a title or some official statement the way that the christian church is church the way that we know that it is real and the way that you know that your pastor is a good and a real pastor is that the gospel is preached in its purity the sacraments are rightly administered. The proof is in the pudding. What's on your heart? What's in your mind? What am I actually preaching here and why? What ministry is the point of the ministry in this place? And do you recognize it for what it is? This is the discussion that leads up to our actual reading that's printed today. Verses 4 through 11. And you have to go back because it begins with that word such. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. 
the confidence that we have toward our Heavenly Father is a confidence that is not based on some sort of credentialism. It's a confidence not that's based on the fact that I have a Master's of Divinity diploma sitting up on the shelf collecting dust in my office or any other diploma that may or may not be there. The confidence that you have toward God is not simply that you have a piece of paper saying you are baptized. The confidence that you have toward God is that God actually baptized you. That he took his hand and dipped it into water and put it on your head. Like he took his finger and put it into the ear of the man in the gospel. It's a real thing, a tangible thing. Not just some sort of diploma thing that represents something else that could be faked or printed off in an email. Our confidence toward God is this. The proof is in the pudding. That what I preach is God's word alone. And if I don't, tell me and chastise me. That what we administer are God's gifts alone. And it's not because of anything in myself that I have accomplished. Or anything in Pastor Vanderbush's self that he has accomplished in his ministry. This is Paul's first point about the ministry. Our confidence is God's spirit on our hearts. Not that we are sufficient to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of the new covenant. And it is great to have Pastor Vanderbush here. The reading just happened to work out this way, so God's hand at work, right? But it's a good reminder that I'm only one of many men that God has called to this task of preaching the new covenant. It's a good reminder to you that no matter who's up here or how many people are up here, That the task of the man up here is not one about himself or his charisma or his personality. His task is one of preaching the gospel. Of preaching God's word from the Bible into your ears. Of taking his body and his blood and putting it into your mouth. That's his task. As my dad used to say, who happens to be here today. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's a good piece of life advice. I've tried to live by it as best as I can. But it's true in the church. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. This is Paul's concern in the Corinthian church. We preach Christ crucified. This is our ministry. A ministry not of the letter. Not of credentialism, not of diplomas, not of letters of commendation. A ministry not of the old covenant where people thought that if they could just fulfill certain parts of the law and make rules for themselves, that they wouldn't eventually really need Jesus whatsoever. And you can think about how modern people also talk about their ministries at their churches. Churches are always... Had a temptation for this. 
If you ask people about their church, ask them what ministries they have at their church. They're probably going to start telling you, oh, we have a great children's ministry, or we have a great family ministry, or we have a great women's ministry, or we have a support ministry for addicts, or we have a food pantry ministry. That's all good. Those things are great. I'm glad we have some of those things here. But it is worth noting the churches may not, or people may not, tell you immediately about the main thing. What about the ministry of preaching? What about the ministry of the Lord's Supper and the ministry of baptism? The truth of the matter is that we could do without the, all the other ministries, but there is a few things that are needful. One thing, really, needful in the ministry of the church, and that is his word. And his word then given also in the sacraments. Those other things could be gone. We could cut off the wall right there and just have this part of the building, and that would be sad, of course, because our fellowship hall is nice and remodeled, and I really like the size of my office and my couch that maybe has had a few naps taken on it once in a while, admittedly. But we could be church without it. What we need is the pulpit and the altar and the font. And so if someone asks you what cool ministries do you have at your church, maybe just try this next time. Say, we have a ministry of the word. We have a ministry of God's word proclaimed by the spirit into the hearts of their people. We have a ministry of the Lord's Supper given weekly for the forgiveness of sins. We have a ministry of the Spirit, not of the letter. And so while we are tempted sometimes to think that this kind of ministry may be boring or insufficient, Paul goes on to tell you just how good this ministry is. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone... He's talking about that old covenant ministry came with such glory. By the way, that was a cool ministry that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses's face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory? What God did in the Old Testament was amazing. He came down from heaven to Moses. He carved letters into a stone and handed them to Moses. And Moses got to talk with God. And when Moses came down from the mountain, he was ministering to the Israelites. And they could not even look at his face because he was in the presence of God. And it was shining so bright. What an amazing ministry. I bet we would get a lot more people in church if my face started shining so bright. And I went into Aldi. And then they saw that they couldn't see me. And I was like, yeah, I'm the pastor of this church. It's really cool. <laughs> but that's not the ministry we have. But if that ministry had such glory, how much more does this ministry of righteousness have? How much more glorious is the ministry of the new covenant? For that ministry, at the end of the day, it could not save. That ministry, at the end of the day, while it taught us a lot, while the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament still teach us a lot, that ministry was for one purpose, to bring about Christ. And when the Pharisees tried to hold to that ministry as their salvation, they could not do it. 
They could not fulfill God's demands. The point at the end of the day, ultimately, was to show them their sin. To show you your sin. To show you your inability. The letter kills. It makes you realize you're dead in your trespasses and sins. But the Spirit came to give life. Jesus was brought about by that ministry. That ministry, the old one, it could only ever at the end of the day kill. But this ministry, it gives you new life. And so how much more glorious is that? Yes, it was cool that God wrote on stones. But think of what Paul said earlier in 2 Corinthians 3. He has now written on your heart. You are the letter. You are God's word enlivened in people in this church. God's spirit, the spirit of the living God is in your heart. The spirit that the people could gaze at Moses' face and only by a glimpse realize its glory. That spirit and that glory is now inside of you. God came down from heaven. And just like Jesus did with that deaf man with a speech impediment, he came into your real life. He dipped his hand in the water and he washed you of your sins. He took his body and his blood and he puts it in your mouth. He takes his word and he preaches it into your ears. And so you have his glory, the glory of the living God. It goes deep. It goes wide. How much more glorious is that? Not some surface level glory. It's not glory of accolades and credentialism. It's not the glory of a diploma or a piece of paper that will one day turn to dust. It's not just a certificate you printed off from your email. It's even better than a gold medal. Because even the gold and silver will one day fade away. But this glory, it goes deep down, deep into your heart, deep into your soul. And it is the kind of glory that only the glorious one can give. The kind of glory that can forgive your sin. The kind of glory that the creator and sustainer of the whole world has decided that you are his child. And that he chose you. He elected you from before the foundation of the world to be his. How much more glorious is that? For if the ministry of condemnation was glorious, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. And so, dear saints, because of that glory, because you are saved by that kind of God, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. To him be all the honor and all the glory, now and forever. Amen. We stand to sing the offertory.